Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organizations involved in drug discovery and R&D. Satnam Surey is the Chief Product Officer at Eigenpulse, a company whose platform enables life sciences companies to structure, connect and augment their data. In this episode of Careers in Discovery, Satnam shares with us what he's learned from a career at the cutting edge of technology and life sciences. Today, I'm joined by Satnam Surey of Eigenpulse. Satnam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Tom. Of course, good to have you. Um, so, Satnam, to start with, uh, for those who might not be aware, can you tell us a bit about Eigenpulse and, and the work that you're doing here? Sure. So, um, Eigenpulse uh, is a three-year-old company. We are um, what we brand ourselves as the intelligence platform for life sciences. Uh, and essentially what we do is enable uh, biotech and pharma customers to uh, structure, connect and augment their data Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's proteomics, cytometry, assays, genomics, and make sure that all of their data is in one place so they firstly can have full visibility over it, secondly um, can augment it with statistics and public data, and thirdly visualise and analyse it uh, with the full safety of uh, audit trails and, and that type of thing. Yes, yeah. I see. And data has obviously always been mm-hmm. part of experimentation and, and drug discovery in particular, but I think as, as technology enables different approaches, it's becoming more important. And I suppose the traditional messy approach to data doesn't quite fly as much anymore. So you're, yeah. you're working on that a little bit as well. That's, uh, that's correct. Yeah, so what we find is that um, when companies or, or organisations start generating lots and lots of data they will try very hard to manage that themselves to Mm. analyze it themselves and and they can do that fairly well for a time but then uh, they find it slows down and becomes a bottleneck to their activities for instance from transitioning to target discovery to target validation um, or going from going into sort of translational sciences when they're augmenting lots or integrating lots of different data mm-hmm. um, you know people rely on uh, manual editing in Excel people then if they're a bit more sophisticated and have bioinformatics uh, team they will then do scripting and you know use some statistical packages but then from an organizational point of view um, you know, people will then leave data then become siloed you know the link between a decision mm. and the data itself becomes lost, and so uh, that attributes a whole load of inefficiency and a drain on quality. Right. And so that those are the types of things that we're at a fundamental level looking to um, address, and then also enable our users to become. You know, loads better at their jobs because we provide them with 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 really good tools to analyze and data analyze all their data that's connect automatically connected, automatically augment, augmented, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So that it's we're still quite early in that stage, but we, we see massive amounts of benefits that a, a software platform like ours can can give to users. Yeah. So so you're looking at um, not losing data. Yeah. As as maybe mm-hmm. one point, but also. 
um, scientists spending time doing science rather yes, than, exactly. than doing admin and yeah. collecting data and yeah. merging it and things like that. So the, the, we go to various meetings and you know, data science, machine learning, AI, sort of buzzwords in the space now, but when you actually mm. ask a, a bioinformatician or a bioinformatics data scientist, as they like to call themselves nowadays, yes. um, how much time is they how much time they actually do the science is, mm. is very little. It's probably about fifteen to twenty percent, and the rest of the time is they're scrambling, looking for data, then they're wrangling it and trying to transform it and clean it so right. it's actually usable for you know a supervised learning method, for instance. And so um, it's that that early stage, that wrangling, cleaning labeling and transformation of data that's what our system does so mm. the scientists can go in and do the analysis and generate the insights that will bring their science forward yeah and i imagine it's a it's a good time to be targeting that sort of um that sort of efficiency particularly because people are becoming more aware of data quality yes. and how important it is as well yeah so um the old adage of garbage in garbage out mm -hmm still reigns true mm -hmm. to, to a certain extent so if you've got incomplete data if you've got messy data if you've got mislabeled data those will um, you know surface in the in the output of your analysis therefore you need to know what goes in is of high quality is you know if it needs to be complete it is complete and is well labeled and well annotated with the experimental metadata that you're trying to pick out a feature from and that's, again, that's what we spend most of our time is making sure that that process of um, structuring, connecting uh, and annotating data is, um, is yeah, is that what we enable in the platform. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And your role here is as Chief Product Officer. Yeah. So tell us a bit about what that entails, what do you spend most of your time on? Um, so the Chief Product Officer is, uh, I would say, the interface between... Uh, all of the different worlds that we inhabit. So um, I have a, we have a product team here, we have an engineering team, and we also have sales and marketing team. Mm -hmm. So um, I would see myself as the sort of coordinator or the hub between those, and actually more of a translator. So one of the key things that I've picked up over my um, career is being able to speak different languages, right? Not German, French, sure. or whatever, yeah. <laughs> but bet between speaking a, a, a scientific language when we're discussing a bioinformatics paper or a bioinformatics technique, mm -hmm. and then translating that to uh, engineering terms. So, how does that work on this architecture, or how do we deploy that, or those types of things yes. and then ultimately we have to get a message out that's not complex that's simple but then enables people to know what we do quite quickly mm -hmm. and for us to sell our products and that that goes into the sales and marketing domain yeah. and as the company has grown and transitioned my role has now become more sales and marketing focused to go and talk to customers to go and see what their challenges are see what their uh, ambitions are as well in the space so we can we can we can build software mm. to enable them to overcome their challenges but then also reach their ambitions and um, yeah and learning about mark general marketing techniques has been fascinating as well and so I'm a scientist that have never done sales or marketing no so, of course uh, yeah you, you learn every single day 
yeah, there's a lot more science behind it than people realize. Yes, <laughs> there is, and that's and that's quite and that's it's amazing because um, setting up those sorts of functions in the company, uh, you you do then apply. Uh, let's do A/B testing. Let's get one campaign out, see how it does against uh-huh. this other one, and 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 you do you can iterate and and that's brilliant. But um, it's still a human. Game. You still yes. need to speak to people. You still need to get out there. You still need to go and have meetings uh, and uh, know how to network and all of those types of um, soft skills. But they're actually the most important because if you can't communicate effectively and you can't get a- across the the value that you're going to provide someone, then why should they? Why should they buy from you? Why should they they trust you? And so it does come back down to people at the end of the day as well. Yeah, and your audience and your customer base, um, they will naturally be very technically minded, first yeah. of all, but also naturally very inquisitive and they'll want to know how things work. And, and they do, yeah. um, absolutely. And um, especially in the pharma, life sciences, biotech mm. space, they're also quite conservative as well. Right. And it's also trying to convince them that, for instance, you know, people are now slowly moving to cloud systems there's still a large majority that don't fully trust that yet. Right. And it's our jobs at the forefront of the field to say, actually, your data is probably safer on yeah. a cloud system than it is in your on-prem system because uh-huh. Google, Amazon, Microsoft, they employ teams larger than most companies to secure that data and they will you know, federate it in your jurisdiction. They will you know, ensure that the security protocols are you know, second to none and... Um, yeah, having those types of conversations are, are really important. And um, as a, as a as a technology provider, it's it's our job to 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 communicate that and to, to translate the benefits to the to the customer. Yes, makes sense. And so um, your background and training is mm-hmm. as a computational biologist. Um, yeah. And we talked a little bit before we started mm-hmm. recording about an early interest in medicine, which yeah. became very quickly an interest in computers and and I guess the interface between the two. Can you tell us a bit about those, I guess those early days, you know, what sure. got you interested in science, technology, where, where did that come from? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, I did my undergrad in biochemistry because I, I didn't get into medicine first time around. Right. Um, and I'm not ashamed to admit that, that's that's one of those things, it's very mm-hmm. competitive and I, I didn't have enough experience. But um, the exposure to biochemistry on the intersection between multiple different subjects, so biology and chemistry but there was a lot of um, physics and maths in there as well yes uh, that's what stuck with me which was actually if you look at the world most innovation comes from not from a a singular place it comes from the intersection between multiple disciplines mm-hmm. and so then I've always been interested in computing and, and, com- and computers and programming and, and sort of tinkering and so um my final year project in at York, uh, uh, at York, um, in my biochemistry degree uh, was a structural bioinformatics project. Okay. And um, so that that was perfect, and uh, because it was computers, it was science, and it was um, I could draw great diagrams, yeah. and uh, I got really into it. And so they offered me the place to go in the computational biology masters at York, and that was brilliant as well because it gave an insight into loads of different um, sort of areas. So there was structural bioinformatics, there was uh, 
RNA sequencing as it was then, mm -hmm. now next-gen sequencing. Um, and we were already doing machine learning back then in 2010. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to go to, to San Diego for six months to complete my master's right, project okay. uh, with Phil Bourne, uh, who started the PDB, the Protein Data Bank, uh, in the 90s. And so he was like a sort of a hero. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, there was this decision, do I continue on this track or do I switch back to what I was supposed to do, which is medicine? And I, I did get a place at Nottingham for the grad entry medicine course, but sort of quite significantly got a, a, an offer to do uh, the PhD in computational structural biology mm -hmm. at uh, UCD, the Conway Institute in, in Dublin. Uh, and so chose to, to do the PhD and again that's at the intersection of many different subjects and at that point you know genomics was gaining momentum. Yes. Um, it wasn't quite at a thousand dollars per genome back then. <laughs> But we saw um, the the oncoming tidal wave of, you know, big data in life sciences, and that was very exciting. Yes. And so yeah, that's that's how I got into it. And uh, my group at the Conway Institute uh, was a diabetes complications research group, and so that was um, mainly uh, molecular biologists and clinicians who were generating, started to generate quite large amounts mm -hmm. of data. And so aside from my own project, I was the go-to guy to do stats and uh, do visualizations and look at proteomics, GWAS, NGS data, yep. data and help these guys um, figure out what they, that data meant. And so that was another pivotal moment, which was, you know, these guys are smart, mm -hmm. but biological data is really messy. Yes. And so there must be a better way. There must be a better way of enabling these really smart people to analyze their data and get the answers out of their data. But, you know, they're trained, they're doctors, they're postdocs in molecular biology. And, but they don't necessarily need to be become programmers. Right. Or data scientists, as we now call it. But um, they should just be able to get their answers. And so that's what's driven me over the last few years to... Uh, look for opportunities to to build tools and build software to help these really smart people answer their really significant questions. Yes, so yeah. to to create the magic behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and I don't think it's a uh, an impossible task, um, and I wouldn't be doing it if if I wasn't passionate about it. Because mm -hmm. believe me, working at a startup is can be can be quite difficult, but it's it's ultimately really re rewarding because every day you can see where your impact uh, where your efforts sort of lead to impact and that's really yeah. that's really really great so yeah it's um, it's been a interesting journey it's been a roller coaster yeah I'm sure so t so tell us about that tell us about um, Eigenpulse and the, the growth of the business and, sure. and how it's changed because you've been here pretty much since the yeah. since the start right mm -hmm. yeah so um, I joined Tobias Tobias is the founder and I joined him as the first employee yeah. um, back in October 2016 and um, the company had grown and he started the company to, to build software in this space and had uh, a number of engagements with uh, some biotech companies here in Milton Park mm -hmm. and we built and deployed sort of uh, smaller systems and then over time 
we extended the functionality of those systems, but you know, he, he had a really great deal with these, these partners, which said, okay, we'll um, develop and deploy software to, to meet your needs, but we'll, we want to create a software company out of this and we want to retain the rights over the software to then go and sell. Right, yes. Um, and that was really great. And, and the, the customers loved it because mm -hmm. they got cutting edge software, they got to influence that and they, um, we, uh, you know, we were able to solve some of their key challenges. They didn't also, we were pretty well priced as well. Yes. And, um, and that really helps. And so over the last couple of years, we've, we've continued down that track to build functionality that uh, helps solve customer pro uh, challenges. Um, but then in the last sort of this calendar year in 2019, we've decided we need to move quicker. We see lots of different challenges in the space that no one customer wants to pay for, but everyone wants the, the, the solution. Yeah, okay. And so we pivoted a little bit to become a fully sort of internally driven product development company. So to, to build enterprise SaaS solutions in the life sciences space. And so our platform has now transitioned to becoming, you know, automatically deployable, um, fully modular. So each data type has its own module. So, you, so customers can pick and choose any module. Um, we're also undergoing sort of a, a compliance regulation auditing as well, so that, um, the cytometry suite, for instance, can be deployed in a manufacturing site. Right, or okay. will be very soon. Yes. Um, and that requires a lot of hard work in the background. Again, mm. no one company is going to pay for, but then um, it's a huge market and it's a huge opportunity for us. And so that that journey um, to learn about how customers work, what what the challenges are, uh, and being very intimate and involved with customers has been has been brilliant. It's been absolutely it's been been amazing uh, and then then going out to the market and talking to a wider array of customers and picking up the um, the common challenges that the industry faces and then pulling that back distilling it and prioritizing the things that we want to then go and build yes uh, has probably been more more important in the sort of in the last sort of six to nine months that we've that we've transformed our company and that's really to enable us to scale and grow because we mm. do want to become a major player in the life science space in the next couple of years. And so in order to do that, you need to achieve some level of scalability. And that's and that's a technology challenge. Yeah. yeah. And I think if you're targeting some of these challenges that are, that are too big for any one company yeah. to tackle, that's a slightly different approach to most people. I think most, most companies even, I think most companies are looking at maybe the route you were originally going down, mm -hmm. these bespoke pieces of software yeah, yeah. That, that solved a specific problem. But as you say, there are, there are sort of ecosystem-wide challenges yeah. that are probably more impactful to solve, but Absolutely. more difficult, of course. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, the, the life sciences has been, uh, over the last few years, I'll put it straight, some of the software out there is terrible. Um, <laughs> And so there's a real opportunity to, I mean, terrible in sort of a user perspective. Right. They, they might be really functional, they'll do what they say on the tin, but, you know, how their licensing works, how uh, their user interface looks, how they're, um, how they're deployed and how, you know, how much support 
is available is, mm. is pretty pretty slow and how the iteration cycles are you know new features come out yearly um we can bring out new features every two weeks right. and we're looking to you know it, you know accelerate that cycle even further so um there's a whole load of new technologies and new frameworks and new ways of working that are not mutually exclusive to the the compliance aspect to the safety mm. aspect of the life sciences it's, you just need to be aware that those are really important factors and account for them as your as we have done as, as in building a company from the ground yeah. up to be yes really really quick and nimble and you know really uh, sort of continuous deployment but um, also be aware that you know you have to make sure that you're you also do what you say on the tin that you yes. can validate yes, everything sure. that your processes are are solid and yeah we invite customers to come in and audit us to have a look under the hood to have a look we can evidence everything that we say and so um, it's a new way of working and I think that's what you know what we need to do for the industry to enable it to become more sort of technology and digitally enabled and also you know companies are sort of switched on to the fact that they do need to interface with other company mm -hmm. other software and other solutions um, proprietary formats are you know sort of killing innovation as well mm. and so yeah other software solution providers are switching on to that fact and so we're um, you know we're very happy to interface uh, and integrate with other other companies as well and that's 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 the ecosystem effect that you're talking about yeah and I suppose the the buyers mentality has changed as mm. well right because actually now a lack of um, uh, compatibility yeah. is a negative factor on a buyer's checklist exactly. um, and also I think you talked about the user experience part yeah. of it and people's expectations have just gone up on that yeah. and, and they continue to go up and I think they expect from a, a sophisticated B2B mm -hmm. piece of software what they get from Amazon and Google Absolutely. And from an interface point of view. Yeah and, and those guys have done a really great job of making really complex tasks really simple mm. And so before people would say, oh, this is complex because it's complex. Whereas Google would say, this is complex, but we make it easy. Yeah. Um, well, and Apple is great at that. And so we take inspiration from, from these pieces of software where you don't actually need to read a manual that you can just jump straight in and you know what you're doing because it's so intuitive. And so we're, we've yeah, taken inspiration to, to try and bring that to the life sciences. It might not be as simple as that to begin with, but, um, that's our aim as well yeah um and so you know usability is is a key functionality it's a key parameter that we measure how easy is this, is this to use but how powerful is it at the same time mm -hmm. and how um you know do, do people enjoy using our software yeah they might be able to get the answers out but ultimately like there's no excuse for bad design and so you know, we're very passionate about that yeah, you want something that when people are using it, they go, "What well, it can do that? That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, it's the wow factor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when you joined Tobias, yeah. was, I imagine it was a much more technical role, very yeah. hands-on in developing the platform and yeah. developing the technology. And mm -hmm. as you talked about at the beginning, that's now evolved into a broader role with a lot of commercial aspects. To yeah, it, exactly. Which is quite different. Mm -hmm. um, so, so how have you had to manage your development? What, what are the main things that you've had to learn, do you think, over that? Transition. Um, there's there's a lot. So the first <laughs> um, when I first joined, 
it was all about the technical skills. It was about yes coding. It was about becoming a proficient software developer. Um, and as most blind politicians will admit, you know there are some bad practices in bioinformatics <laughs> that you know they need. To, I, I would really recommend any bioinformatics, uh, any bioinformatician to to go on a software engineering course or, or do something mm. that. Uh, or work in a software engineering environment because the practices are so good. The right. Code validation, testing, um, you know, uh, code repositories, all these types of things are really, really important and actually can help uh, in organizations as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so to begin with, it was very much technically based. And then that, uh, so that was when I was a, a senior computational biologist. That's where I came in. Uh, then... A couple of months later, because I could, uh, you know, there was not very many other people here, and so I would also have to go and talk to customers to mm-hmm. um, see how they were doing firstly, see what, uh, if there was any challenges, try and help them through it, and then also um, start just start chatting and chatting with them about their challenges. What else is, do you find difficult? What else can we do to make that easy? Oh, yeah, we want to integrate... Uh, GTEx, for instance, so we can see it side by side in the context of our science, and so yes. that those types of things that originating those projects and identifying and scoping features is again, as I said before, it's very much a communication-driven process and and really listening to people. Mm. Um, and so then, as a then a lead computational biologist, I mean the job roles don't actually make a difference. You just <laughs> get on with it as well. Uh, um, you then sort of have to, so what I had to do was scope projects, write proposals, right. get buy-in, and then that's where the, the commercial experience came in. I mean, I think I've always been quite entrepreneur, entrepreneurial anyway, yep. from family life and all that kind of thing, uh, and learning how to price things up, learning how to, um, as I said, get buy-in, and um, then once the project has been approved then get the get the team on board and and manage that with balancing all of our resources which at some times has been quite you know stretched but uh you know customers are okay if you say we're going to take x amount of time and you actually do take x amount yes. of time they get upset when you say we're going to take you know three weeks and then six months later you're still not delivered so yeah um expectation management and stakeholder management are some of the key skills as well yeah then um then yeah then as we sort of grew even more so uh we're now sort of 20-ish people um having grown from one couple of years ago and now we're hoping all being well that we we scale to another level in the next year or two and so as, as and sort of planning for that and the strategy behind that, that's what I've really learned as uh, becoming more of a, an executive in the company yes. since my role as chief product officer is attending board meetings and all that kind of thing and um, figuring out how, say, the transition to being product-driven. Mm. I was heavily involved with that with Tobias. And so, yeah, you have to sort of take stock of a situation um, don't be too pessimistic or too optimistic mm-hmm. and uh, 
actually be a bit ballsy and, and really yeah. go, yeah, let's let's go for it. We've got if you're gonna do anything, I would say in life, in your relationship in, in anything is go go at it full full with full force and full effort and um, hopefully it pays off and so yeah, we're we're bang bang in the middle of that journey. Yes. And hopefully it pays off. And hopefully it pays off. Which it looks like it is. Um, Just on that, there's an amazing quote, and I heard it again this morning for the first time. There's a guy called Les Brown, who's a motivational speaker, Mm -hmm. and he says, um, he talks about risk. Yeah. And taking risks to achieve things and things like that. And um, he says, you know, life is risky. It's so risky that you won't get out alive. Yes, why not do something? (laughs) Well, that's the point, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you said something really interesting before we started recording, which I just wanted to go back yeah. to, um, about how early on you kind of, you, you looked at where you wanted your career to go yeah, and sort of looked at how people who'd been successful, how they'd progressed and what yeah. they'd done and how they'd got to where they were. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I think um, for me, being ambitious is one thing, having that is definitely one thing, but actually how do you get where you want to go um random chance is probably one way but i thought being being a scientist let's objectively let's see what people have done Mm -hmm. let's go on to a ceo of a great company and just look at their background and their history uh and uh read books and articles so time articles or harvard business review research about how people have become have become leaders or have become successful or what I think is successful or how I want to model my career right. and so I did that quite quite early on definitely during my PhD because um, I soon figured out uh, that the, the academic life was was not compatible with me um, not because I wasn't passionate about it it's because it was that entrepreneurial itch you don't get to mm. scratch that a lot and so, um, so I thought, yeah, let's see what people have done. And so some people will go and after their PhD, a friend has done this, he went and worked for one of the big consulting companies, yep. go and work for uh, some of the accountancy companies, go work in, uh, go do an MBA, go uh, do those types of high level activities. But then what I found really interesting was some of the really cool people that I really looked up to um, went and joined startups and yes a lot of them had failed and then failed again and then one of them had been successful and then they got acquired and, and then there's multiple different routes it's putting yourself in a position that yes it's risky um but if this one doesn't pay off i'm pretty sure the next one will and if that one doesn't pay off i'm pretty sure the one after that will but mm-hmm. all the while you're accumulating so much experience and building your network and you know it's and exposing yourself to a lot of different opportunities that if you play it too safe, you're never exposed to those. Yes. And so, um, not that I'm a, a massive risk taker, these are all, you know, calculated risks because if this doesn't succeed, then what have I come out with? I've come out with a, a ton of experience and mm-hmm. um, know how to run teams, know how to build teams, know how to build software, know how to to talk to VCs, know how to pitch to companies, know how to present in front of 500 people, yes. all these types of things that you don't necessarily get in your sort of stepwise career. That's not a bad thing. If that's what you want to do and you feel comfortable and that's compatible with your life and your expectations, that's great. Yeah. Um, for me, it was 
I want to, you know, f- f- you know, be a leader in in the space that I love because I think there's so much that needs to be done, and I want to do it. Mm. And so you go and, and as I said, you I, I looked at people's profiles, talked to successful people, and just asked them. So what did you do? How yeah. did you start out? Um, how did you get to where you are? And you know, people love sharing that information yeah, yeah, yeah. and and actually what I found is people love talking about their mistakes more than their successes because true that's where you that's where you learn uh, the most and yeah we've made our fair share of mistakes we've uh, we've all all done things that you look back and go oh geez I I learned <laughs> so much from that yeah uh, that uh, you learn about yourself uh, and you learn about how you react to certain situations. You know how if that something like that comes up again, then this is how I might act differently. And so it all sort of um, learning from other people's experiences is super critical. Yes. Yeah. So on that, um, we'll put this in in HR speak, but yeah. <laughs> um, without giving anything confidential sure. away, of course. Biggest learning experience, biggest learning moment so far. I think for any small company, it's. Um, get the right people and don't hire someone if you're not you could be on paper they could be perfect but mm. if you don't have that sort of emotional or mm. if you don't have that clarity if you don't you have that gut feeling about someone then you have to sort of listen to your gut yes um, because you know Netflix says don't hire overachieving jerks or something to yeah, that yeah, effect yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Gymshark has a quite a quite a crass but apt um, saying, which is "Don't be a something head." Yeah, um, you can say it is adults. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a dickhead. Yes. And I think that, you know what? Fair enough. Like yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it does help. So that's one big thing. Um, and the second, from a commercial point of view, is don't be over over reliant on one customer. Don't be reliant on. Uh, and and because things change for people for right. companies they change for people so um, yeah I think those are the key things so from a personnel point of view uh, especially early when the teams are small get the right people in and they've mm. got to be culturally aligned and uh, as a as a leader one of the things we learned a lot was st- be really really passionate about the culture that you're trying to cultivate right yes. And um, so that was something we definitely learned from. And then from a commercial point of view, and it's pretty simple, is, you know, build your customer base. Um, if you can get revenue, get revenue. Yep. It's, it's the best best sort of income. Because um, VCs are expensive. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> and so not that they don't have their, their place, and, and we were no. talking to some amazing, amazing uh, companies, but... It's you not know, free money. It's not free. <laughs> no. it, it, it's all. It has its uh, has has its price, and so um, I think those are the key mm. the key aspects that we we've really taken. Um, yeah. So, if there are people out there who are um, maybe sat in academia mm-hmm. or finishing up their studies, or maybe taking their first steps into yeah. the industry, um, you, you might have touched on some of this already, and that's that's fine if you if you repeat it, but. Is there one or two sort of key pieces of advice that you would give that, that maybe you wish you'd known when you started out? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> B 
being at least if if they're sort of a, a wet lab person, so they're a molecular biologist. Mm. There's no excuse. You have to be data literate. You have to be technology literate. You don't need to code. You don't need to, um, you know, become a, a a software engineer or anything like that. Just just know the lingo. Know that actually, it's this is where the world's going. Uh, this is um, th- this is the next wave. And for sort of a, a bioinformat- uh, bioinformatics data scientist, bioinformatician, computational biologist. Um, know how to communicate uh, know how to communicate your findings know how to um, translate and I wouldn't say dumb down but really get the key outputs mm. so that people who may not have that background can understand why you're doing something what impact it makes and um, why that piece of work is so so great uh, and then for, for both sets is if you come into sort of industrial world like it's it's all about um you know a bit of commercial awareness is is always really good knowing yes. what's happening in the industry general trends and staying staying up to date is is very important and then also don't be afraid to reskill do something else yeah you know um there's there's so many different things go work for a big company i've worked in a multinational and now come to a company that you know is smaller than the group that I sat in in my last mm-hmm. place so um, try different things and I'm you know even for me I'm still early into my career but there's loads of stuff that we could potentially do and um, yes I think it's the world is changing I think um, you know the, the life sciences especially is going to be one of the, there's so much opportunity that um, don't limit yourself yeah, and I think it's an interesting point about sort of, I suppose, staying open-minded and yeah. knowing what's going on because I think particularly for scientists and technology professionals mm-hmm. whose job requires a, an intense focus and intense yeah. amount of concentration, it's easy to become a bit blinkered and not yeah. to notice what's going on. Outside. Sure, and I think, um, again, as I said before, that's, that's, that's great if they're like, passionate about it or mm. that's what they love doing, um, but there is a lot out there and... and you know, one of the v- big VC companies, and Andreessen Horowitz mm-hmm. says software is going to eat the world, or software is eating the world. And from our vantage point, that's that's a hundred percent correct. But um, that means that people need to become a bit more yes, a bit more okay with the technology. Yes, before they get eaten by. <laughs> <laughs> Satnam, I think that's a really good point to end on. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for coming, Tom. Of Great course. Thanks for joining us on Careers in Discovery, and don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and R&D. Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent, and their mission to make hiring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.